Lord Gilbert, Baron of England by the grace of His Majesty King Henry II, seized upon the person of a priest of the Holy Church and unlawfully did hold him in custody. Furthermore, in the presence of Lord Gilbert and by his command, his men seized upon this priest when he tried to escape and put him to death. This is the sin of murder and sacrilege. In that, Lord Gilbert has rendered no act of contrition or repentance and is at the moment at liberty in the land. We do here and now separate him from the precious body and blood of Christ and from the society of all Christians. We exclude him from our Holy Mother Church and all her sacraments in heaven or on earth. We declare him excommunicate and anathema. We cast him into the outer darkness. We judge him damned with the devil and his fallen angels and all the reprobates to eternal fire and everlasting pain. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second half of Season 3 of Restoration Radio. That was uh, an excerpt of a sermon of Bishop Sanborn uh, from, from last Sunday. No, actually, it was uh, Richard Burton pretending to be Bishop Sanborn. Uh, actually, don't no, forget that. that was Bishop Sanborn, that would be something he would like to do to some of the public figures that uh, we have today. But uh, we're very lucky to have him. It's a skeleton crew because it's August, uh, in between seminary times. Father Chicada is out, uh, Justin is out, so Your Excellency, it's just you and me, but we have the great pleasure of having you with us, the Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn. Nice to be here, thank you. I thought I, I might surprise you, Your Excellency, with that, that excommunication scene, because it's, it's completely the opposite of, of the current uh, administration of, uh, of Vatican City, and uh, provide a, a little bit of a contrast for us. Yes, well, I promised that would be my first act if elected Pope. <laughs> well, Your Excellency, didn't you always say that you'd, you'd first uh, burn the, all the documents of Vatican II in, in St. Peter's Square? Yes, yes, that would be one big ceremony. It would last the whole day. <laughs> That's the, the, light, the light of tradition that you'll be interpreting the council by. Yes, yes, the fire. <laughs> Well, uh, we've got uh, not a whole lot to talk about this month. Uh, in, interestingly enough, it seems as though Francis has taken a bit of a vacation himself uh, during the summer. He hasn't been saying too much, but he still has been saying a few things. And today's episode of Francis Watch is brought to you by Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church, NovusOrdoWatch.org. Well, Your Excellency, I, I thought we would start uh, on an upbeat theme because that's, that's what Francis likes. He likes us to be happy. 
and, uh, and not judgmental. And I thought we might start with his uh, 10 suggestions for a happy life. Mm-hmm. You know, in contrast to the Ten Commandments, instead of commandments, let's have suggestions. Instead of worrying about all that negative theology, let's focus on happiness. Do you have a chance to look at any of these uh, suggestions? Your ex- yeah, have you decided to follow any of these suggestions? Well, the, what uh, stands out is that these ten suggestions do not mention either God or Jesus Christ. Uh, this person purports to be the head of the Church of Jesus Christ, and not a single thing pertains to supernatural happiness. Uh, it is as if the Catholic Church is merely an ethical society, uh, something that uh, proposes purely natural happiness, uh, how to get along in this world. Uh, Protestantism has done this, liberal Protestantism has done this for decades, Uh, Norman Vincent Peale and various others, Uh, how how to cope with life and how to have a better life. This is what he is proposing, as if we needed the Roman Catholic Church to tell us these ten things, as if the splendor of St. Peter's Basilica was, is there in order to enshrine these ten, basically, in some cases, common sense things, in other cases, erroneous things, in order to be happy. It is, it is like the Ten Commandments of the modern world and modern atheism, agnosticism. Uh, and it's just one more ugly episode in his, and the, the, the Novus Ordos in general, uh, abandonment of the Catholic faith for pure naturalism. You mean you're so you don't want us to learn how to win friends and influence people? <laughs> well, there's such a thing as natural happiness, and there are certain things that pertain to natural happiness, such as uh, treating our neighbors correctly according to justice. Uh, even apart from revelation and revealed religion, we must do that. There, there are certain things that do pertain to natural happiness. But the Roman Catholic Church is not here in order to encourage us toward purely natural happiness. It is here to draw us to eternal salvation and to lift us up to supernatural happiness. So, for example, the eight Beatitudes give us the plan of supernatural happiness, which in many cases contradict our instincts of natural happiness. Our instincts would tell us to, to take revenge upon our enemies and, and exact uh, justice, eye for an eye. But the, the message of Christ in the Holy Gospel is that we should forgive our enemies and actually turn our cheek to, in order that they hit us on the other side. These are, this is the supernatural constitution of the Catholic Church, and these are things that he should be preaching, not, not ten ways in which to... Uh, be naturally happy. Uh, this is an implicit abandonment of the church's role as a, a, a teacher of supernatural happiness, uh, the teacher of the gospel. We don't need the Catholic Church. We could have Aristotle or, or even the Freemasons tell us these things that he has told us. And that, that is precisely the, what the, the forces of naturalism already from the 18th century wanted to do, and that is to propose to the world uh, a, a, a natural, a naturalistic happiness. Uh, 
that would replace Christianity. Woodrow Wilson said at the Treaty of Paris in 1919, Christianity has failed to provide peace for the world, therefore we must do it on, on, on other principles, uh, meaning naturalistic principles. And, you know, of course, that, that could be famous last words because we know what happened 20 years later with all of the uh, naturalistic principles that, that he tried, uh, with which he tried to solve the problems of the world. Uh, but this is, he is reflecting a, a, a trend for the past 250 years to replace Christianity and, of course, Catholicism, which is the only Christianity, with a naturalistic religion and naturalistic happiness. Uh, and that's, uh, it's incredible that, that, such, uh, that a, a so-called pope could talk about the happiness of man without even mentioning our Lord Jesus Christ. And well, then some know, of the things he proposed were downright wrong. Well, I mean, you're, since you're being very narrow here, you know, focusing on things like the Beatitudes. I mean, we have, to be, we have to be more open and more welcoming than just focusing on teachings of our Lord. I mean, there are other truths as well. Truth is a, is a single thing, and the, uh, there are natural truths and there are supernatural truths. And natural truths, however valuable they may be, will not bring us eternal salvation. The human race is in need of eternal salvation. It is in need of extricating itself from sin and the effects of sin. Natural truths will not do that for us. Man discovered certain natural truths before the Savior came, but that did not help him in any way, nor can we know all natural truths. But even if we did, it would not help us out of sin. The purpose of the Catholic Church is to draw us out of sin and to lead us to heaven. And those things that he mentioned did neither of those things. It just it provided for a uh, peaceful, nice life in this world. We are not animals. We are not meant for a peaceful, nice life in this world. We are meant for an eternal life, and our true life is the life of the world to come, not this life. That's why it's, you know, it, it, it seems so innocuous. Uh, it seems uh, like as if I am nitpicking or in some way uh, trying to criticize him for no reason. But what the problem is is what is lacking there. That is the, the the supernatural is lacking in what he said, and it's true of the the public statements of most of these Novus Ordo popes. And that is uh, when they get up on Easter and Christmas, what do they talk about? They talk about natural problems. Uh, he even he said that the greatest uh, you know, problems in the world are the fact that the youth don't have jobs and that the old people are lonely. That these are the greatest problems in the world. Not that the, the fact that millions of Catholics have abandoned the Catholic faith, uh, or, or that, uh, that there's denial of Catholic truth in seminaries and, and religious houses, and, and that the, uh, the Catholic Church is falling apart. No, that, that, that's not a problem. It's the fact that youth don't have jobs. Well, he, uh, he's he a socialist. That, he, he's a Marxist, he, and and Marxist Marxism is a religion of humanity, and he's just giving us uh, nice little humanistic ditties in those uh, ten points. Well, he picks up that theme in uh, suggestion number six, 
uh, helping young people find employment. So those of you who attend uh, Mass at uh, chapel service by Bishop Sanborn uh, will not, uh, Bishop Sanborn's first priority is not to help you find a job, <laughs> unfortunately. So don't, don't count on him uh, to do that. Uh, Your Excellency, I, I think this, this ties back to what you're saying. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with helping young people find, find unemployment. That's, that's fine. I mean, that's a good thing to do. But to, yeah. to have it on a, on a top ten list, uh, it seems a bit it's a bit odd, and I, I think it goes back to what you're saying about socialism. Well, we'll just gonna we we just need to give them jobs because uh, that's what they have to have. It, it, it's naturalism. Uh, you could give all of your money to the poor. You could help people uh, who have Ebola. You could uh, do all sorts of things, help lepers and, and be Albert Schweitzer and, or you know a social worker, and do some very good things. And the things that you do would be good, but they would only be naturally good. And natural goodness does not merit for us eternal salvation. That is the point. That is, he is replacing uh, supernatural good with merely natural good. Uh, and that that is a it, it goes under a guise of a certain goodness, but it is a terrible poison for the Catholic Church to abandon supernatural good. It has no purpose for existence if it's merely going to tell us about how to be naturally good. Natural good, no matter how good it is, will not bring us to eternal salvation. If we give something to the poor. In order that that be a meritorious act, we must do it in the name of Christ. That is, we must do it for a supernatural motive, for the love of God, at least implicitly. If we do not, if we do it out of a purely natural motive, however good that act is, it is not meritorious. It does nothing for us in the order of salvation. That's the problem with his ten tips. Well, and I and just again going back to this idea of of helping young people find unemployment, I, I think obviously at the root here is the larger how would previous popes have dealt with the underlying question here, which is economics, employment, economic systems. We'd have things like Rerum Novarum or Divini Redemptoris addressing what how again if, if there is to be a happiness here below, if there is to be a natural happiness, the church does have some sensible things to say on that. But not uh, not simply just saying go help people. She has some some clear diagnoses of what the problems are. Yes, the church is the herald of all virtue and all truth. Uh, uh, the so it, it can point out to nations and should point out to nations where there is a violation of even natural law or natural justice. Uh, that's why. Uh, Pius XI and Pius XII condemned communism as intrinsically evil because it's contrary to justice. Uh, Pope Leo XIII condemned socialism very roundly because it's contrary to justice. Um, and, it, and, and also pointed out how to properly organize uh, human economic society in order to make a, a just state and a, and a just situation for everybody. Uh, the, the church does not abandon the natural, but it, it, its primary purpose is the uh, furthering of the supernatural happiness of man. For uh, there is so much lacking in what he says. To come out and say these are the ten tips to be happy, 
there is so much lacking there that that's it's like a big a big bite out of a donut so to speak because whatever good he says there uh, has a has a uh, a chasm you know, there's a big open chasm that that is visible because he is not saying anything supernatural and that that's the purpose of the catholic church he, he's uh, he's showing again his his colors as a marxist naturalist humanist and that's why people love him i'm sure people thought he he was just great it's it's the the same you know who am i to judge uh, nonsense the the uh, he's a that's why they like him is because he is a naturalist he is not in any way disturbing their natural life but enhancing their purely natural and naturalistic life by giving them tips like that he is not calling them to eternal salvation by any means and the first step toward eternal salvation is the embracing of the roman catholic faith the the repudiation of error and the embracing of the roman catholic faith outside of the catholic church there is no salvation it is the one ark of salvation and the way to um, to uh, to make people happy is by drawing them to that ark of salvation. Every other happiness in this life is going to be thrown into the grave. And human beings do not finish this life well. Just visit a nursing home and see what natural happiness will bring you to. There's a very good sermon from Bishop Sanborn. I don't know if it's available on the seminary website, which is mhtseminary.org. But uh, Bishop Sanborn spends about 20 minutes talking about the the importance, uh, I think, especially for young people to to visit nursing homes as a memento mori. And I can, uh, for those of you young people still looking for jobs, if you don't have a job, maybe in the meantime, stop by a nursing home, uh, and you'll be able to at least uh, get a meditation in on death along the lines of what His Excellency is saying. Uh, I think you really hit on on basically the thrust of these 10 suggestions, Your Excellency, in the very first one, which is live and let live, right? So that's his his very first suggestion for a happy life, and I think, you know, that's a a great pop song, but it's certainly certainly not uh, anything I could ever imagine our Lord saying. It's nothing... Uh, any any good priest has ever told me about anything, whether I'm kneeling in a, a dark box somewhere or uh, whether I'm sitting in a pew. I've never heard something like live and let live as a, as a way to live my life. No, it's certainly not uh, a, an axiom uh, of, of right living. It, it could be boiled down to the principle of tolerance, and that is that at times... It is legitimate and even prudent to tolerate evils in order to bring about a greater good or to uh, avoid a greater evil. That's the, the teaching of Catholic moral theology. Tolerance, however, is not a virtue. Uh, I think I explained this in another, in another show. A ver- an act of a virtue is always good. So an act of justice is always good, or an act of charity is always good. But an act of tolerance is not always good. Because some tolerances are gravely imprudent, and they are evil. It's, it's evil to tolerate certain things. And, and so live and let live gives a blessing to all tolerance, as if it were a virtue, as if tolerating anything that your neighbor does is a virtue. 
uh, and especially in the context of other things that he has said, that, that we should just ignore uh, public morality and just if, if your neighbor wants to do something that is absolutely you know, filthy or immoral, well, that's you know, live and let live. Who am I to judge? This is the same theme that, that he has been repeating and which makes him extremely popular. Uh, it's an abandonment of Catholic morality, effectively, uh, because he doesn't mean it in a Catholic sense. He doesn't mean it uh, in the sense that at times we should tolerate certain evils in order to avoid greater evils. He doesn't, if he had said that, that would be a perfectly Catholic thing to say. But uh, in, given the context of his other statements, we must take this in the way that he means it, which is that uh, basically you can do whatever you please and it doesn't matter. You know, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, Jesse. The last one I want to talk about is the one where you would expect him to fly the flag for the church if, if, if nowhere else was Sundays. But Sundays doesn't even get too much of a treatment. Spend Sundays with the family. Um, I mean, you think you're the one place where he might, you know, be a little religious is talking about Sundays, but uh, no, no mention of religion on Sunday either. Uh, no, no, it's as if the, the third commandment is keep, uh, keep holy the family day or keep happy the family day. Uh, again, this is a typical Novus Ordo that God exists for our natural happiness and that Sunday exists for our natural happiness and that we should uh, you know, just interact one with another in order to find our, our family happiness. Uh, this, uh, this is, again, naturalism. It is, it is a, an implicit denial of original sin, as if man, if left to his natural instincts, to happiness, will, be, uh, will, will make a wonderful world and will be happy. He's not going to be happy because when he's left to his natural instincts, he's going to go bad. And he's going to commit sins and serious sins, and he's going to make a horrible world for himself, as he has, uh, ignoring the, uh, the commands of Christ and ignoring the, the religion that, that Christ has set down. Uh, the, the modern world has become a, a place of incredible unhappiness. Uh, for so many people, because of, of the abandonment of the true faith, ultimately, uh, and and not only abandoning it but attacking it and and turning against it, uh, the modern world is just. Uh, I mean, if we just consider some of the uh, the slaughter that has gone on in this country with people shooting other people, uh, this due to to a, a lack of morality and and the the abandonment of religion in general i mean this this hadn't this never occurred until the 1960s when in austin texas some nut started shooting people from the tower of the university of texas in austin uh that was in the 1960s when everything started to turn bad when common decency disappeared and people started to go crazy uh with the the new ways that's when that's sort of thing started and uh and then you know we, we have the modern wars of the 20th century which which so exceed warfare uh in in previous times the middle ages uh it, it, you can't even make a comparison 
uh, and the suffering, the amount of suffering that went on during those wars and, and the other wars of the 20th century and the wars that we have now. I mean, the people in Iraq, the amount of suffering that they have endured for, uh, since, uh, since the, the beginning of the wars back in the early 90s, just an, an incredible amount of suffering. Uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is what man's condition without the true faith, without Christ. Pisces 11 said the the peace uh, uh, the uh, peace of Christ in the reign of Christ, and the human race cannot achieve any kind of happiness in this world uh, on purely naturalistic principles. It must convert to the true God, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, and and to the the reign of Christ in society. Then he will achieve all of the peace and natural happiness as well as the supernatural happiness that that uh, he desires indeed pox christi regis um, yes uh, yeah. very, some very radical notions your excellency you're saying there's metaphysical consequences for for sin that that will manifest itself in societal behavior and the zeitgeist even shall we say in weather that, uh, that there is a rebellion um, of, of man to God, and naturally rebellion then spreads throughout not only fellow man but even in creation itself. Yeah. So the uh, uh, human beings, as a result of original sin, have a penchant for evil. They have a bizarre delight in evil. There's something fascinating uh, in evil for them, as a result of original sin. Uh, we, we shake our heads and think, how can anybody be so cruel as to do this or that? Yet they, they have. I mean, how could anybody, for example, take a knife and slice off somebody's head as if it were a piece of chicken and put it on a video? I mean, I don't care what you think about that person uh, the, the, and be happy about it and proud of it. How, how depraved can a, can a human soul become? So as to do that, or, you know, just uh, today I saw in the news that Hamas admitted taking those three Israeli uh, young men who were just hitchhiking and taking them and, and putting them to death. You, what, what are you, what sort of an animal are you? Uh, the, 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 you know, just young men hitchhiking, you know, whatever, whoever they are. The, the, uh, this is, uh, human depravity can go very, very deep and low, and we have seen this in the history of mankind, and it's due to original sin. And yes, it is also true that God enlisted the, the, uh, the earth to participate in the punishment of man uh, by, uh, for the fact that, for example, the, uh, the earth produces so many weeds, and that the seasons are so violent, uh, the weather is violent, uh, tornadoes uh, uh, and so forth, are all part of the punishment of man for original sin. This earth cannot give perfect happiness. It just is incapable of giving it. Uh, it is a place of sin and punishment for sin. And the way out of it is by the Catholic faith, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the church that he founded. And that will provide for us primarily a supernatural happiness, interior supernatural happiness in this world, also even natural happiness because of the overflow of those things. If everyone observed the faith, you wouldn't even have to lock your doors. Uh, the, the, there would be peace in the world. Uh, and 
the the uh, that that's the, the way out of this problem that the, the human race has. It, the way that is not uh, the, the what not to follow is simply a reassertion of the, the some idea that human beings can save themselves just by trying to be good. That's the liberal. The liberal believes that human beings will always go for the good when they have the good put in front of them. That's, the, that's one of the, the, the basics of liberal thinking, that you, you can count on human beings to act well and be good. It's false. The, the history of the human race shows incredible, incredible immorality and depravity and cruelty uh, that, that, uh, that we don't even find in the animal world. It's very, very rare that an animal will attack its own species. Very rare. Uh, where there's some other motive, you know, maybe they're you know, disturbing the young or something. But the animals have a, uh, a, a propensity toward respecting their own species. Human beings don't. Well, don't. you know, you're... You're, you're, you're reminding me, um, for, those, uh, for those who don't uh, listen to uh, His Excellency's sermons in person at Most Holy Trinity Seminary, again, they're available on the seminary website, mhtseminary.org. If you click on the right-hand side under sermons, you can get them. And His Excellency gave a sermon on the Assumption um, last week. And, you know, you're, see, as, as you're talking about this, I'm being reminded uh, in your sermon about you, you, you spoke about you know, what was mankind supposed to do, what was his trial prior to the fall as opposed to what it is now. And I'm thinking, actually, the suggestions viewed in the light of your sermon are quite diabolical because they're a distraction from, from the spiritual combat. The spiritual combat alerts us to the fact that everything is contriving against us because of the choice that we made at the fall. And so that we need to be really aware of our situation, not just nature, but our fellow man. And these ten suggestions are a complete distract. They're, they're not just a focus on the naturalist uh, perspective, but they're a distraction from the spiritual combat. Yes, it is a spiritual combat, as St. Paul says, with the powers of hell. And people must understand that, that this is a battlefield between... God and the devil that the God chooses to have because obviously he doesn't need to do battle with the devil but he chooses to have it because we gave ourselves over to the devil when we with original sin and with and we do so every time we commit an actual sin we we give ourselves over to him and God wants us to overcome the devil and uh, in a in a struggle that's why he permits us to be tempted uh, St. Alphonsus says that the only reason why God permits the evil people in the world is to give crosses to the good. That that's their only purpose for existence. He would, he would just get rid of them. If they did not have a purpose of exercising the virtue of the good, it's the only reason he keeps them alive. And so th th we have to understand our life in this world as one of a constant struggle against forces of evil primarily the devil who who is is always trying to pull away from god's glory by capturing a soul and bringing him back to the very place that he was before christ redeemed him to reestablish his empire over the human race that that's how he gets his revenge upon god 
And if we fail to understand that, we fail to understand the meaning of life. And, and so that's why supernatural happiness and grace, this is what, what a pope should be talking about. Not, you know, live and let live and all of these other silly things about, you know, the family and whatnot. We don't need a pope to tell us that. <laughs> you know, we don't need a conclave to, to have him tell us that. Uh, well, dear listeners, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to you by Novus Ordo Watch. The voice you just heard was that of His Excellency Bishop Donald Fanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, who is enjoying a blissful uh, break in between classes, although I'm sure he still has some summer students, the overachievers who stayed during the summers. Um, I'm and teaching that, philosophy in Russian, that, just to let you know that, Stephen. So, so, much, so much for a break, then, Your Excellency. Uh, we want to remind you that, that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. If you are listening to our show in iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps those looking for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our work. And I know I, I keep uh, plugging the seminary here, but uh, the seminary uh, recently uh, went on to iTunes as well. Uh, if you search for MHT space seminary in iTunes, you'll find the feed to the sermons that I've been alluding to. So clearly you can tell I, I have the feed and I listen to the sermons, but you can add them to your iTunes as well. That's probably available on the Android Play Store, but I'd have to check with Father Disposito on that. But if you have iTunes, you can subscribe to the feed, and you can hear uh, all of Bishop Sandward's negative theology uh, for yourself, instead of just having to wait for it once a month here on Francis Watch. Uh, speaking, speaking of negative theology, Your Excellency, this idea that uh, there's such a thing as hell and judgment, I mean, we know that those are things that went away after the Second Vatican Council, and, and that means that uh, you don't have to be Catholic to receive a Catholic burial mass. Uh, in fact, you don't even have to be a you don't even have to be a bishop. Uh, you can you can receive an Episcopal. Uh, they called it requiem, which was uh, fascinating to me in the news article. The Boston Globe referred to it as a, a requiem mass, and I thought, boy, they they really got that mixed up. But the, can you can, can you tell us a little bit about this? Because some of our listeners may not have heard about the fact that you are you don't have to be Catholic or a bishop to receive a Catholic Episcopal requiem mass. Yes, this is all part of the Novus Ordo idea concerning the Church. Uh, there, is, there was a friend of Bergoglio's uh, by the name uh, of uh, Tony Palmer, who was a Pentecostalist bishop, quote-unquote. Uh, you know, he's just a layman. Uh, he was. And he was the one that showed up at the Vatican and... Uh, uh, Bergoglio said he's a brother bishop. Well, he was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident a few weeks after that. And so he had to be buried, and they were uh, going to bury him in the Catholic Church, but without the uh, honors of a bishop. But Bergoglio said, no, he should be buried as a Catholic bishop being neither Catholic nor a bishop, but Bergoglio said that he should be buried as a Catholic bishop. Uh, 
it shows that the the, the Novus Ordo theology concerning the Catholic Church, and that is that the Church of Christ is something that extends beyond the borders of the Catholic Church, calling him a brother bishop already. He belongs to a non-Catholic sect. How could he be a bishop of anything? But they see value in those non-Catholic religions. They see that he is a leader of souls. Uh, the uh, Bergoglio has said that he has no intention to proselytize the Pentecostalists, that means to try to draw them to the Catholic faith, and that he believes that people should find Christ in their own way. This is pure modernism. If you read St. Pius X's Pescendi, it's pure modernism, and that is you find God on your own, with your own experience, and religion is merely an expression of your experiences with God. That God is in everyone, and everyone finds God in his own way. That's, that's just put out perfectly in that encyclical. So he's giving us pure, unadulterated modernism, that everyone has to find God in his own way. So once you establish those principles, the church becomes merely a, a function or an expression of people's religious experiences. And therefore, there, there are no borders. It's a church without borders. So you can say he's a brother bishop, and sure, when he dies, he can be buried as a Catholic bishop, because what, what's the difference? If you found Jesus, what's the difference? He found Jesus in his way. Bergoglio has found Jesus in his own way. And so why not? So well, it, that's, it's, that's, it, it's just that's, a wiping away of Catholicism, that's all it is. That's a, that's a catchy phrase, your Eglise sans frontières. It's, uh, you know, church, <laughs> yes. a church without borders. I, I, I like that idea. Um, you know, and I, almost, I had to feel bad for, for Palmer. Uh, this gentleman actually expressed a wish to become Catholic. Did you, did you read about this? He had, no, he, I didn't. He had expressed a desire to be Catholic, and, and this was in Buenos Aires. There was a, a large um, uh, evangelical Catholic gathering in Buenos Aires, and he had expressed a desire to become Catholic. And Bergoglio told him, we need to have bridge builders so you can't convert. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just think to yourself, boy, what, you know, what a travesty this is. Even, I mean, let's say even converting to the Novus Ordo sect, which as we know it's a false religion, but clearly the man must have had something going on in his brain to, to, to have some movement uh, away from, from Pentecost- Pentecostalism. Yes, yes, it could have been a, a motion of grace, and maybe he, he falsely perceived the Novus Ordo to be Catholicism, as many do, and, and figured that that's the Catholic Church, I, I want to be a part of the Catholic Church, and he was spurned by Bergoglio. And uh, that is a very grave crime on Bergoglio's head, um, among many others, uh, against the faith and against, it's against charity. If somebody says, I want to become a Catholic, you, you drop everything and you do everything you can to draw them into the true church. That has always been the, the, the attitude of the Catholic Church. Uh, Pius XI said that, the, that bringing people into the true church is the highest form of charity because it is the, a spiritual charity. It is a spiritual good that you are giving them, uh, and not merely a, you know, some natural good like a piece of bread. It's the highest form of charity, and it, it uh, fulfills most the 
command of Christ to have love for one another that is expressed in St. John's Gospel. That's Pius XI who said that. So that means that this man who was, was tending toward, in principle, the Catholic Church was repudiated by Bergoglio and told essentially to stay in hell. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's the effect of what Bergoglio told him, because uh, he can't save his soul by means of or, uh, in, uh, of, of the Pentecostalist religion. That's a means of damnation. It's not a means of salvation. It's a means of damnation. And uh, Bergoglio should have, uh, you know, of course, drawn him into the Catholic faith, except you can't give what you haven't got. Bergoglio has to become a Catholic himself before he could draw anybody else into the Catholic faith. So I'm... I'm talking as if Bergoglio were a real Catholic, but he's not. So we have to go back to that problem, which is the original problem. Well, and seriously, I, again, I, I think about, you know, funerals and, and how they function pedagogically for us as Catholics. When, when we go to a funeral, there is black. Uh, we're reminded in the sermon of the priest that we need to pray for the soul of this person. And the church would have certain rules about who could be buried, uh, you know, what consecrated ground was. And, and this just makes a mockery of all of that. And, and what, again, destroying the traditions, destroying the universe uh, in which we live and, and can observe metaphysical and supernatural truths within our daily lives. When we see black at a requiem mass, that communicates something. When we hear a sermon, that communicates something. When we, when we hear about consecrated ground versus unconsecrated ground, when we hear that someone can't be buried there, or no, someone has refused the Catholic funeral, you know, obviously, as uh, you know, you living in America, you're used to such uh, such travesties as uh, Ted Kennedy uh, receiving a, a full a full uh, Catholic uh, you know burial with honors uh, delivered by a cardinal. So it's prepared yes. us for for things like this. Yes. No. The the traditional discipline was that you could not be buried from the Catholic Church, obviously, if you were a non-Catholic, uh, or if you were a public sinner an unrepentant public sinner. So if you, you know, uh, repented on your deathbed, you could be buried from the Catholic Church, but the priest would have to attest to the fact that you made a good confession. Uh, otherwise, you could not be buried from the Catholic Church. You even had to be known to have done your, your um, Easter communion because it was considered to be public sin to have uh, neglected your Easter duty. Uh, so that was the rule, and then you, after the, the, the funeral was held in black, the reason for the black in the Catholic funeral is that it is a mourning of the sentence of death upon the human race. It, it, is, it says nothing about the state of the soul of the person. Uh, even when St. Teresa of Avila died, everyone knew she was a saint. There was, there was no question about it. Yet she receives the same funeral as a person who is a very marginal Catholic and perhaps known for having led a sinful life, but who confessed at the end. Uh, they, they both get the same funeral because what we're mourning is the sentence of death upon the human race as the result of original sin. Uh, and we see the body there. We see that we all have to pass through that and go to the grave that's what we're mourning, that our bodies have not yet participated by God's providence in the redemption, that we have to wait for the end of the world in order for our bodies to participate in the redemption 
our souls have, but not our bodies. And we still are living in the old order, so to speak, in, in our bodies. And that is they're subject to death, they're subject to all of the punishment for sin. That's what we're mourning. That body then goes to the cemetery, uh, it, and it was necessary that the pastor of the church verify the fact that this was somebody in good standing and that they could, in fact, be buried in the consecrated ground. If for any reason at all somebody got through who was a non-Catholic or who was a public sinner through that system, they would exhume the body and bring it out of the grave and expel it from the cemetery and then reconcile the cemetery because it had been defiled by a, a non-Catholic or a Freemason or some, something. That's how strict it was. And it's, uh, that's, the it's uh, extraordinary, Your Excellency. Yeah, uh, I, I and again, that goes back to the idea of you know consecrate. You know what what we're subjecting ourselves to. I I uh, uh, was in Strasbourg recently, and I I, I read a, a a plaque in which it said that uh, that one of the one of the Catholic kings had ridden for fifteen miles in the rain because at the time Strasbourg was a Protestant town, and so the king didn't want to spend the night in a Protestant town, so he rode uh, in the rain to go spend the night in a Catholic village uh, outside mm. the city, because he wouldn't even want to be there. Again, mm -hmm. these, these things are, are lost, I, I think, Your Excellency. When, when you do something like this, people don't realize just how destructive it is to our, to our necessary senses of the gravity of death, judgment, um, and how the church looks at, at death and how it wants to give us an example and wants to show us how to, how to look at this. It also shows the importance of religion and the true religion, the importance of adhering to the true faith and of repudiating false religion. The fact that that king, that you, in the example that you gave, would not want to even go near a Protestant town shows that religion is important for him. And that's something that modern human beings have lost. They really don't care. The only thing that matters is what Bergoglio says, that you've found Jesus in yourself. Live and let live. Who am I to judge? This is the new religion. And that's why he's so popular, because he's talking to people who are already converted to that new religion. Well, uh, along those lines, Jackson, yeah, let me read you a quote here. We can inspire others through witness so that one grows together in communicating. But the worst thing of all, the worst thing of all, is religious proselytism, which paralyzes. I am talking with you in order to persuade you. No, each person dialogues, starting with his and her own identity. The church grows by attraction, not proselytizing. Now, the reason I read that quote, Your Excellency, is it leads a, a question on Quora, which is an online, you could say, living Wikipedia, where people pose questions to other people in the hopes that a popular answer will be given, that the consensus, you get upvotes or downvotes. And this was being asked by, by someone that the question continues, people proselytize because their leaders told them, at one time at least, that it's what they were supposed to be doing. It may have become a self-motivating thing over time, but still, now that the Pope has denounced proselytizing, do you think everyone will stop doing it? And you can see that even filtering down to these grassroots levels where someone is asking a simple question on a website, 
that the message is clear. So if any of these, you know, you'll read these neo these neocon Catholics or the recognized and resistors will say, well, you know, he's being mistranslated. You know, uh, the the prisoner in the Vatican, he's got big ears. It's not the right guy. Uh, you know, all of the theories that he's being misinterpreted. Clearly, the non-Catholics who are listening to this message, this is how they're interpreting it. And the implications are staggering. Yes, it, it destroys one of the most fundamental aspects of the Catholic Church, and that is that it is the one true Church of Christ outside of which there is no salvation. The Catholic Church cannot present itself in any other way. Otherwise, it would be a false church. If it abandoned the idea that it is the one Church of Christ, it would be a false church because there is only one Church of Christ because there is only one Christ, and he founded only one church. So proselytism is a necessary part of the Catholic Church. That is, it is impossible to to strip the Catholic Church of its necessity to go out and preach the Catholic faith and try to convince people to join the Catholic Church. Why? Because there, it, salvation depends upon it. The, the, if, if you were walking down a long pier with somebody, wouldn't you tell them that they're, they're going to go off the pier if they walk any further? Wouldn't you try to convince them not to walk off the end of the pier? Uh, of course you would, because if they are going down a path that is going to lead them to, to some great evil, charity demands that you deter them from that evil. So what is implicit in what, what Bergoglio was saying is that charity no longer demands this because the Catholic faith is not the one true faith outside of which there is no salvation. It is not necessary to be Catholic in order to achieve salvation. This is the implicit in what he's saying because otherwise anybody would say, I mean, if you really believed in the Catholic dogma, that the Catholic Church is the one true church, outside of which there is no salvation, if you really believe that, the, the natural, logical conclusion is that you must strive as best you can to draw people into the Catholic faith. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, and proselytism doesn't mean that you have to become obnoxious to everybody and, and uh, be, be uh, overbearing. Uh, it, it means that where, it, it, where you have a hope of, of, uh, of success, you, you must try to draw someone in, and that you have a general missionary effort, that you go into countries, you, you do whatever you can, you use whatever media you can in order to spread the Catholic word and to draw people into, into eternal salvation and to have them repudiate error. Why did our Lord come? Why did he preach the Holy Gospel? Why did he set up a church except for that? Uh, again, what, what kind of, we don't need this church uh, that Bergoglio is proposing to us. Um, so there's an implicit denial of something that is essential to the Catholic Church and that it is, that it is the one true church outside of which there is no salvation. Now... Along with proselytism, Your Excellency, there there's something that we we started to witness under the the non papacy of of John Paul II, which was this idea of apologizing. And I suppose this opens up a, a larger question. And 
it may be outside the scope of this episode, but I suppose we we want to address the bigger issue of the church, quote-unquote, making mistakes and apologizing for mistakes. Now, some of these, uh, quote-unquote, mistakes were ridiculous uh, regarding Galileo or the Inquisition, etc., but I suppose I want to back up a little further and ask the question, is there room for, again, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to see it from their perspective, from the modernist perspective, which is, is hard to do, um, the idea that uh, human beings, not the church, but human beings within the church can make errors, and so there is room for apologies, or, um, or does triumphalism not uh, accord for apologies, and uh, you know, the, the heretic should just take it? Because I'm asking this because Francis continued this, uh, this Vatican II papal claimant tradition by apologizing to some Italian uh, evangelicals. Again, you know, for, you know, whatever, whatever we might have done, um, you know, in the past, we persecuted, I think that the, the quotes in Italian were persecuted and condemned Pentecostals, and, uh, and it was the result of being tempted by the devil. And, uh, well, that's absurd. That means that the Catholic Church strove to keep Pentecostalism out of Italy, which, of course, it should, because Pentecostalism leads people to hell. Just as you would strive to keep Ebola out of your country, wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> should we come in and you know spread around infection with with a, a fatal disease? Uh, uh, a false religion is a fatal disease in the order of salvation. And of course, the Catholic Church would want to uh, uh, remove the error from any, any situation in which it is found. So he, he's apologizing for all the wrong things. The only thing that the Church could legitimately apologize for is any kind of human failure in its past. Uh, for example, uh, some of the uh, immorality of the clergy. For example, uh, the the in in times past, uh, you know, the the tenth century, uh, uh, you know, has some uh, pretty bad popes in it, and the the uh, the fifteenth century has some fairly bad popes, and and that's certainly something that the church could regret, and and. Uh, uh, it does. I mean, in her historians, uh, certainly the Church has regretted those things. Uh, there are human failures in the Catholic Church. There's no doubt about it. Uh, those are the and actually the failure is to live up. They fail to live up to the standards of Catholicism. What he is apologizing for are the very standards of Catholicism, and, and he's he's apologizing for people who upheld the standards of Catholicism. Just as he, in that incident where he called the lady in Argentina and told her to go ahead and, and continue in her adulterous relationship, she objected, well, the priest told me that I couldn't. And he said, well, some priests are more papist than the Pope himself. Mm. He, is, he is destroying the very... I mean, the poor priest, I felt sorry for him, even a Novus Ordo priest, here he is upholding uh, what, what is right and true, and he is totally undermined by this creature in Rome uh, who is, is uh, saying that he's gone too far and, and that he's off, off the rails for, for telling you this. Uh, uh, he is apologizing for the church's very essence. 
and for the activity that the church uh, undertook uh, as a direct result of its essence, its God-given essence. Uh, he is not apologizing for failures, human failures, in, in the church's history. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, of course, I mean, any, any human failure should be something to be regretted. Of course. And again, I, I, your Excellency, I notice you're using the phrase, you know, expressing regret, which is different from the idea of uh, apologizing, because the larger question is, if you are apologizing, you're apolo- who is apologizing to whom? Who's for, who's, whose forgiveness are, are we seeking? Is the church seeking forgiveness of the world? Can the world absolve the church? That, that, that whole, again, using these words implies things, and again, it destroys our notion of of the of the spotless beauty of the of the church. Yes, yes, and, and it's, but it's especially the thing, especially to look at is what they are apologizing for, or what they are regretting, or what, what however they are presenting it. Uh, and in all the cases I know, it's over something that the, that pertains to the glory of the church rather than to its shame. That's what they're apologizing for. That is the church's insistence on true doctrine. Uh, and uh, it's it's natural abhorrence for any kind of movements that would draw people away from true doctrine. It, you know, again, the medical world, wouldn't we praise people, doctors, who who kept disease away from our country? Wouldn't we say that they are wonderful people, that, that they took all the measures necessary so that we don't come down with the awful diseases in other parts of the world? Uh, and uh, so shouldn't shouldn't we praise those in the Catholic Church who, who strove to keep the disease of uh, of false doctrine away from us, a disease that that leads to our eternal damnation, mm. which is far worse than just dying. We're all going to die of something. It doesn't matter whether it's Ebola or a stroke or cancer or heart attack. We're all going to die of something. And we're all going to eventually die. And yet, you know, people who protect us from certain diseases are considered great heroes, but those who protect us from false doctrine are considered to be scoundrels. Mm. You know, you're see this something I, I had thought about uh, again going back to our meditation on death that you 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 brought about earlier. I was um, I was walking in Père Lachaise this last week, and I was admiring some of these beautiful family chapels. Uh, where the There's some family awful people are, buried in there. <laughs> there are some incredibly bad people buried there. Uh, but uh, among them, but, Oscar Wilde. Well, that that's uh, that that grave is uh, glassed off, and there's lots of uh, lipstick kisses and flowers strewn there <sighs> for for him. It's uh, it's it's unbelievable. But I was thinking to myself, uh, looking at some of these family chapels where they would have mass, the 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 idea of uh, building your own. Um, uh, House, the, the the burial house there. That that would be a good meditation for. It would be similar to either you know working on your tombstone or or something along mm-hmm. those lines of what you're saying. That we know we're going to die. You might as well get yourself into that spirit and think about those things um, mm-hmm. and, and prepare yourself. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we are uh, towards the end of this episode of Francis Watch. Um, I'm Stephen Heiner. Um, today, guest hosting. Uh, along with uh, 
my my guest, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Uh, Your Excellency, because uh, we have a thinner thinner episode this month, uh, again Francis has uh, has decided to take a little summer vacation himself. Um, certainly didn't take any time to comment on the passing of a true saint and pope, um, Saint Pius X whose 100th anniversary of his death we commemorated two days ago, or, um, or one day ago in the United States. Mm-hmm. The, um, I thought we might take an opportunity to take a, a couple themes from current events that I think some people might be interested in hearing your take on. So if I could just uh, uh, beg a, cu- a few minutes of your time. The first sure. one I want to ask about is uh, the Ukraine. Um, if you'd like, His Excellency has a blog uh, which you can uh, you can follow uh, on the internet, and he recently wrote about uh, the Ukraine and in your see this again goes back to the idea of proselytism, and I'm thinking you know what is a way that we can engage with uh, non-Catholic friends, uh, and sometimes it's not on directly issues of the faith; it's on natural issues. If we can give them a Catholic perspective on a natural issue or a current event then maybe they'll be attracted by that thinking and it will bring them into deeper conversations about theology. But uh, without having you repeat your whole article, um, what were your reflections on, on what's going on in the Ukraine and, and how we as Catholics should, should look at that? Well, I don't know if it really touches the Catholic faith. Uh, my, I, I don't usually talk about politics and political things. Uh, it, it touches uh, slightly on this in, in as much as it is all an extension of 1919, which, as I said, was the abandonment of any kind of Christian organization of the world uh, and the inauguration of purely naturalistic principles as the guiding uh, light of the world and the inauguration of a one-world order. Uh, that is, I'm referring to the Treaty of Paris and the Treaty of Versailles, in which dreamy leftists decided that they would put a, a world order together. Uh, I think that's what is, and this is just an opinion, so I mean, I'm not saying this is a dogma, but that what moved the Western powers to foment a revolution against a democratically sitting and uh, a democratically elected sitting president in in Ukraine. He was elected legitimately, no matter what you want to say about him or how corrupt he is or anything like that. He was an elected president. And I, I think that the what motivated that and what fueled the flames of that revolution were, you know, Western powers that wanted to see things change. And... Uh, so, but the whole thing uh, uh, impressed me as ironic because our country started out in precisely as a, as a revolution. I mean, what 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 I should I should go back. What disturbed me was that this country took such a negative attitude toward the separatists because this country was born by separatism. If you look at the breakdown in 1776 of how many people were in favor of separating from England, it was about one-third of the population. So there is a, they were separatists, they were revolting against legitimate government, and they sent Benjamin Franklin over to get aid from France, money, guns, 
and finally to declare war. They, they, he convinced France to declare war on England and sent troops over and more guns and ammunition and aid. Uh, and uh, finally, through it, it was all, all, only because the French helped us that we managed to get independent. I mean, we would have would still be British if it had not been for the French. So these these separatists are saying we don't like the changes in Kiev, uh, and we want to be independent of of Kiev, and we are looking to our mother to the east and north, that is Russia. Uh, with whom we have very strong ties to help us both by money and military arms. What is the difference between those two things? <laughs> That's my only point in writing that blog is that we would have to condemn our whole past in order to condemn the the separatists in Ukraine because we we were we were separatists. And that, that is our country. I point out that there is a type of altar in Washington in the National Archives where you go and see this document that gives human beings the right to revolution. When they don't like their government, they can overthrow it. And that's known as the Declaration of Independence. And it comes straight from the writings of John Locke, who, who said that you know power lies within the people, and when their government becomes oppressive, they can rise up and get rid of it. Why do we deny that to those separatists? And I'm not taking either side in that conflict. Uh, you know, I think there's problems on both sides, but I'm just saying that it doesn't make any sense for the United States, if it is going to be true to its own principles, to have any objection to what those separatists are doing. That was that was my uh, my point in writing that blog. That that, and I've never seen that said by anybody, not even the separatists. Uh, if I were if, if if I were one of those separatists, I'd haul up the flag of of don't tread on me, and all of the other revolutionary war flags of the United States, and say now criticize us, <laughs> Betsy Ross, and 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 um, and ironically, it's the it's the separatists who are trying to be faithful to the originally elected democratically elected government in Kiev they're saying we don't like the new junta in in Kiev I, how, I don't see how anyone can fault them for what they're doing you know just apart from any other considerations uh, that uh, that the, uh, they're, they're exercising their their American uh, uh, right to revolution so it was just a, and I, as I said, I never saw anybody say that in any editorial or any blog or anything. And I just thought it might be interesting to say it that that I yeah. find I find it inconsistent. Uh, that uh, and also that that it seems inconsistent for the United States to back a revolution against a democratically elected president. And I point out that Americans have a stable society because they endure the most horrible and corrupt politicians. They endure them until the next election. <laughs> and look at uh, Grant. I mean, his, his, just one scandal after the other, and Nixon, and all of, we, we just endure it until the next election. And that provides a very peaceful and stable society in which people can prosper, in which business can prosper, because we don't go out into the street and burn the White House or anything like that. We just wait. 
<laughs> we wait. And and uh and we get them <laughs> in the ballot box. And and why would the United States want to disturb such a situation? Why would it not say to them, You wait for your next election? And so I pointed out those inconsistencies and uh you know, just for people's uh own reflection on the situation. Uh, as I said, I never saw anyone make that reflection. I thought it'd be interesting, but I don't and, and usually d- delve into the political world. I I, I know you're so That's why I wanted to to take a moment to to talk about it because it's a it's a rare occurrence. And I would say probably the asterisk at the end of that the asterisk at the end of that article would be. And I find these uh, I find the principles of the United States government to be utterly repugnant to the law of God. Uh, so. That would be yes. The, uh, I, I, I was uh, I put in falsely. You now the right to revolution is false, but it is the American principle, and and uh, I'm just pointing out the inconsistencies of the American policy, that it's not in conformity with the, the what is the gospel it has preached to the whole world for the past 250 years. This is very very uh, Thomistic of you, Your Excellency. Going back to principles again, it's not a very <laughs> not a very broad way to attack uh, a topic. Uh, the other way, the the last thing I, I want to speak about today before I let you go, or see, is this uh, this death of of Robin Williams. It was all over. It's been conversation fodder for a lot of different people. And it, again, it's one of these uh, uniting, or I wouldn't necessarily say uniting, but it's an event that you can talk about with with lots of different people. He is well known, incredibly funny person. But you know, when we have this suicide, when we have a suicide of any person occur in society. Um, again, going back to the idea of proselytism, but you know, not the hard proselytism, but a way to reflect: is there is there a, a good way, or is there a, a a way that we might, as Catholics, bring you know bring about that conversation, talk about suicide, or is it is it something a little too hot sometimes to to discuss, even when you're talking about a public figure? No, it's not hot at all. It's it's a fact of life. Uh, people do it all the time. It's a sin, objectively, that is, uh, to take your own life. Objectively is a sin, I underline objectively, because some people may be excused from guilt because of the extremity of their depression, which makes them virtually insane, or or in fact insane, and to such an extent that they are not responsible for what they're doing. Uh, So that that could be true of quite a few of them, but it is not true of all of them. There are certain people who make very rational decisions about killing themselves. And and they plan it and they uh they have their their spouse participate, you know, they the spouse will will shoot his wife and then he'll put the the gun to his own head and that happens. I mean, where it's it's very deliberate and and willful and it's a mortal sin. The, the, those people just go straight to hell. Uh, because our lives do not belong to us. They belong to God. And that's why birth control is immoral. That's why abortion is immoral. Because human life belongs to God. It does not belong to human beings. Our own lives do not belong to us. And he will give us life and take it away as he wills. And to deny that to God is to deny his role as creator of the entire universe, and it is very, very offensive to him. Uh, so uh, it, it surprises me that many times people are, are very active against abortion, but they don't give a hoot about birth control. 
Yet all of the logic of birth control leads to the logic of abortion because birth control gives you uh, your, uh, a supremacy over the generative acts of human beings. And if we have supremacy over the generative acts of human beings, we have supremacy over the fetus, whether that child will be born or not. If we can decide whether it will be conceived or not, we also can decide whether it can be born or not. So the, the sacredness of the human life uh, as it is under God's rule, begins with the with the very generative acts which lead to the creation of human life. So it it also touches on suicide. We we do not have the right to kill ourselves. So it's not it's not a hot topic at all. It's it's uh, it's just part of Catholic morality, and that's why people who committed suicide were denied Catholic burial. Uh, uh, unless they showed signs either of insanity before they did it or signs of repentance after they did it, which mm. some do. You know, they, they botch it and then die later, and uh, they show signs of repentance. So, but otherwise, you could not be buried from a Catholic church. Well, and I, I think you're actually, it's, a, it's a good way for us to, to finish the episode because it brings us back to the beginning and the idea, uh, you know, the ten suggestions for a happy life. And it seems, you know, this, this man who was very naturally gifted, for, and those gifts came from our Lord, it did not come from himself, very naturally gifted. Who uh, are you talking about? about? About Robin Williams, let's say. Oh, okay. That I thought someone, you meant Bergoglio. <laughs> no, no, you're gonna say, you, might, you might kick me off the, uh, the show if I were to say something <laughs> like that. But, uh, but no, uh, you talk about someone who, you know, had lots of reasons to be naturally happy, was very successful, uh, well-off. Uh, gifted, as I, as I say, but it looks, you know, in, in the final analysis, that that's not enough because ultimately that's not what our hearts are made for. As, as much as natural happiness may please us, it still may not be enough to even get us through this life, much less uh, another life. And so it seemed, you know, for Robin Williams that, that that would be a testimony to that, that, you know, whatever natural happiness may bring you, it may not even get you through your time on this, on this planet. In this world, uh, the human soul is so deep that it, it strives to to draw from a, a created thing, some material thing, what the created thing or material thing cannot give. It can only give a little bit, and the human soul has such a strong appetite for for the good that. It must go from one thing to the other and suck all of the good out of each thing. And those things must be constantly before us, constant entertainments, constant riches, constant pleasures, in order to drown the, the desire of the soul for, uh, for, for happiness from those things. And there's, and there's two, two, uh, what I'm trying to say is that in, in order to satiate the soul and to keep it pleased when it does not have the happiness from supernatural things and immaterial things that it really craves, it has to be constantly satiated by material things. And if those material things give out or if we become bored with them, then depression sets in. And then, you know, then the road to suicide is, is very clear and open. Uh, the the human soul longs for immaterial things. Even on the natural plane, it longs for truth. 
It longs for love. And both of those things are immaterial. People are happy when they are in possession of truth and love. Even on the natural plane, they are both immaterial things. And they might be expressed in material ways, but they are immaterial things. We hate to be lied to. And the reason why people are so attached to the Internet and television and radio and all of the media is because the human intellect has a constant need for truth, information. It wants to know what is. And that, that is the, and it's constantly, we eat a meal and we're satisfied for a few hours, but our intellect is not satisfied with one piece of information. Mm. That's why we want to talk to people, we want to interact with people, because our intellect wants to know the truth. And the same is true of love. We want someone to love and we want someone to love us back. Uh, that's even on the natural plane. We are not happy simply by ourselves. And, and human beings long for that. When children know that they are loved and they love their parents in return, they are happy children even if they are in the depths of poverty and vice versa. If they should be little rich kids and their parents really have no time for them, they are miserable children because they are not getting the immaterial things that really make us happy. Human beings long for justice. Look at the people in Missouri who are longing for, for justice to be done. They long for justice. What is justice? It's an immaterial thing. Do you see animals longing for justice? Not at all. It's an immaterial thing. And it, it is what drives man. And it, it is what gives him happiness, is the possession of those immaterial things. So when someone has substituted the material for those true immaterial things that make him happy, he must be so surrounded by them and so taken by them, that is, not getting bored by them, that, that he is able to avoid his depression. But once that boredom sets in, depression will certainly set in as well. Well, uh, I'm, I'm neither depressed nor bored with the uh, time we spent on today's episode, Your Excellency. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, before I let you go, I wanted to just uh, let listeners know if, if you are in uh, Hungary or Poland, uh, you will get to uh, see His Excellency uh, in the coming weeks uh, after this uh, episode tapes. Next week, His Excellency will be departing for an Episcopal visit to some, uh, some faithful in in Europe, and I think uh, one of one of the remarkable stories there, Your Excellency, was an entire group of people who believe that ideas have consequences. Uh, there is a, a group in uh, in Europe that uh, were all, uh, let's say, recognized and resistors, and when they realized the truth of it, they realized they they couldn't, and they and the the priest they they couldn't continue on, and the priest who'd been serving them for many years, they they sort of told them, they said, look, uh, we're we're here in this situation, and, and we can't have an unicum mass anymore. And they were willing to go without mass uh, rather than uh, than have an unicum mass. I think that's a, a wonderful thing, and it, it'll be good that um, they'll be able to see you. So if, if you're in Europe and uh, you'd like to see His Excellency and, and hear some of uh, his words, he'll he'll be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you won't be teaching any Russian logic while you're in Europe, Your Excellency. That that'll no. be a, a little bit of a break. <laughs> Yes, but it's a full schedule in Europe. There won't be much time for sightseeing. It should be a good trip, I think. 
Uh, can you tell us, uh, as far as expectations for the school year for the seminary, um, I know you say you don't count them until Christmas, but uh, to kind of give people some news as to, to what's going on, if you want the scoop uh, from the seminary, make sure that you are a subscriber to the Bishop's Newsletter, which you can get for a contribution of $75. During the summer, running a special uh, for $100, you can get the newsletter uh, if you make that contribution. So, uh, Excellency, anything that's not in the newsletter that you can share with us about incoming seminarians? No, just uh, two, semina- two American seminarians, uh, one Polish seminarian, one French seminarian, in addition to those whom we have. That should give us a total of ten. And um, we're looking, they seem to be good vocations, they seem to be firm, and we're looking forward to a good year. Uh, we're actually putting uh, into the seminary faculty this year Father Selway, uh, and uh, he'll be teaching uh, philosophy in Latin, and Latin, and Latin, not in Latin, but philosophy <laughs> and Latin, and uh, that, that'll be a first for him. That was the reason for moving the seminary down to Florida, because uh, he, he developed up, up in Michigan a, a condition in which the cold affected his hands and his extremities a great deal, and I said... You know, I'm I'm mortal. Uh, most people would be happy about that. Uh, and somebody's got to take over this seminary one day. If you need to be in a hot climate, we've got to put it in a hot climate. So here I am sweating it out in August in Florida because of Father Selway's problems. Uh, but uh, so he's being introduced. I, I told him, uh, you know, I'm I'm 64 now, and I'm not getting any younger. We, we brought the seminary down here so that you could uh, teach in it, and uh, you better get over here pretty soon. So he uh, he will eventually, he said in two years, he would be able to uh, detach himself from the direction of the nuns, and uh, because it has been a, a preoccupation of his for past for many years to get the nuns up and running. Uh, and uh, that he would be able to be here full-time in two years. But he's starting this year by coming over for classes, which is, uh, you know, to me a great blessing because, uh, as I said, I'm not getting any younger and and more and more. I mean, I don't have any major diseases or anything, but you just feel it more uh, as you get older. I'm sure everybody would agree (laughs) with my age. You don't have the same stamina and, and verve as you did when you were in your 40s or even 50s. Uh, you just can't do as much, and I, I need to eventually hand over the reins to younger men. Uh, and uh, then I'll sit in a rocking chair on a porch someplace. <laughs> well, actually, I don't we, think I'm going to end up that way. <laughs> we will we'll pray uh, ad voltos anos for you, Your Excellency. Hopefully that uh, for, for many years uh, we will still have you with us and. uh and continuing to remind us of uh, important doctrines as well as uh, important reflections and, and uh, not giving us any suggestions for a happy life, but uh, maybe, some co- maybe some commandments for a holy life. Um, yes. Well, again, it, uh, it might permit uh, his coming over uh, and his teaching here might permit me to travel a little bit more and to uh, do more media things that, that we're doing right now. Uh, to write more uh, uh, and, and do other things. Right now, I've been very much past 20 years. I've been just trained down by the seminary, uh, and it's a full-time job. It, it's it's you have no idea. 
uh, how difficult it is, and it's been a tremendous challenge. Uh, but uh, I, I would be a little bit freer to do things if he eventually, uh, and when he eventually joins the faculty full-time. Well, and that, and that reminds me, if, you, if you're wanting to get your hands on Bishop Sanborn's first book, the uh, pre-orders for that uh, complete in the next 12 or so days. If you go to uh, truerestoration.tilt.com, you can see um, the first volume of the Anti-Modernist Reader, uh, in which uh, His Excellency features quite prominently as a writer. Uh, so he did manage to get his first book out, even while running a seminary. So uh, imagine, imagine what will happen when he's free. Your Excellency, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate it as always, and we look forward to a full staff uh, return to Francis uh, Watch uh, next month after you come back for uh, safe, safe travels while you're in Europe. And uh, yeah. we'll have uh, Father, Father Chikata very uh, uh, ably running the uh, episode as usual. Yes, for the humor value of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks again, Your Excellency. May God bless okay. you. All right, thank you. For those of you who are tuning in now, just a reminder that Francis Watch was brought to you commercial-free and in its entirety by Novus Ordo Watch, who is our very generous sponsor. Uh, make sure that you visit their website and send them, send them a note. Send them th tell them thank you for paying for the sponsorship for this show. As you, know, you may know now, our network is no longer all free all the time but uh, rather is a subscriber only. And so sponsored shows like this one are brought to you for free in their entirety by the show sponsors. So make sure you head over to novusordowatch.org, uh, make a donation to them. Again, send a thank you note. Um, they're the ones who are enabling Francis Watch to come to you, uh, who are enabling Bishop Sanborn's words, wisdom, thoughts, reflections to come to you, and I would encourage you to support them. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. You can do that by visiting truerestoration.org forward slash donate, and there you can also observe the various membership levels, which will allow you, allow you to have full access to all of our catalog of radio programs. To those of you who are members or who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond simple material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments, we'd like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, you can do that simply by mailing, mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. For the restoration... I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. <laughs>